Amen. Well, good morning and uh, good morning to the children. Children, we have these sheets for you again uh, this morning. Now, listen, do not worry if you can't do all the little bits in the drawings. But what I'll do, what you can do is uh, there's some blank pieces at the back as well. You can draw during the sermon. And I would love if you could hand them back to me. So write your name down, hand them back to me. I'm going to collect them all. And maybe at the end of Colossians, I might have something for you. So let's try and give all the sheets back to me. I want your name on it and just little drawings, whatever you can do. I would love to have that. If we could open up our Bibles to Colossians 3, please. Colossians uh, chapter 3. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. Lord, we pray um, as we open your word this morning, will you speak to us? As our children are here uh, together, would you speak to them? Lord, we are so glad that there is life in this room, families in this room. And we pray that you would bless the families that are here with us in and through your word. Pray, Lord, that we would have godly homes that honor your precious name. In your name, we pray all these things. Amen. There is one verse that I want to read to you this morning, and it's the verse that I want us to begin with, but it is not the only verse we're going to look at this morning. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, and it is an amazing verse. Listen to what the Lord says to us. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is an amazing summary verse for your life. That is an amazing summary verse for the church itself. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means everything you're going to do in life, everything you give your hand to, whether it is work or whether it is at home raising your children or whatever it might be, everything you do in life is all for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is all for Him. And so in our church life, this is how it works. He is giving us a summary of everything that we have talked about before. He begins the verse 17 by saying, and, and that connects it and gives us a conclusion for what He has. And whatever you do in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so what he's doing is definitely concluding from the verses before. So what that means for us in our life in the church, when you are putting off your old self, when you are putting your old self to death, you are doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not doing it for anybody else. You're not doing it to please anyone else. You're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're putting on your your new clothes, the new clothes that you are to wear as a Christian, you are not doing that for anybody else. You are doing that for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we talked about last week that we are to teach one another and we are to admonish one another and we are to sing glory to God and sing to one another and address one another in song, we are not doing that just For each other, we are doing that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it seems obvious that this is a conclusion in our passage. And in fact, every commentary I I have read on this says this verse is a conclusion. And it certainly is. 
Even your, even your Bible, the way your Bible is shaped, it will, it will have this verse 17 and then it, it will have a separation there and that will tell you, listen, this is the end, this is the conclusion. But I don't think that's it. Yes, it is a conclusion. But what this verse is, is an introduction into what your family life should look like in the home. It's not just the conclusion of what church life should look like. It is an introduction as to what family life should look like. And therefore, in our families, whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is why I think it's talking about families here as well. Because every family here, every family here present, every home here present, All of us have battles in our home. Some battles are raging warfare, let's be honest, sometimes. Some battles are very timid. But don't come in here thinking all the families here are perfect, because they are not. Every single home has a battle. And do you know what is at the core of that battle that is in every single home? Do you know what the core of that battle is? We want to be Lord. We want it our way. That's why you have every battle, every fight you have in the home, because we want things our way. We want to be the king. We want to be the Lord in our homes. But for the Christian. Who is Lord of the home? It is not the baby. The baby is not Lord of the home. Sometimes they try, but they're not. It's not the teenager. The teenager is not Lord of the home. Sometimes they try, but they are not. It's not the husband. He's not Lord of the home. It's not the wife. She's not Lord of the home. Who is Lord of the home? In the Christian home, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you do it for the Lord. And so this is what he wants to say to us. I want to read a few more verses. And usually what I've been doing is like, and it's been fun for me, like taking taking one verse kind of at a time and, and breaking it apart. But what I want to do this morning, instead of zooming in, what I want us to do is zoom out and see see the bigger picture of what it's calling us to do in our homes. And as you read this, I want you to do me a favor as well. As we're reading this, I want you to put on your your 21st century glasses and see if you find any problems that could happen in this world in relation to what I'm going to read. Any disagreements people might have. Probably won't be hard for you because you already have those glasses on anyway. But listen to this, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back 
for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master who is in heaven. Now, as you read that with your 21st century glasses on, as you, as you look at that, there, there's a lot of problems that kind of come up. What does this submitting thing mean and this obeying stuff mean and obey in everything mean? And then you've got, just to top it all off, you know, masters and slaves and what does that mean and how is that going to fit all in? But what I want to tell you first before we go to our 21st century questions, what I want to tell you first is this. Those questions that we have as we look at the passage, those concerns that we have with our eyes as we look at this passage, aren't the concerns that the, that the Roman people had at that time when they would have been reading this. Why? Because this was a very normal structure for the household at the time. Aristotle, he, he talks about what the household looked like at the time. And there's three main relationships of what the household looked like at the time. The household was the relationship of husband and wife, father and children, and slave and master. So when they were reading this, they wouldn't have seen this as really that controversial. The biggest controversy in this passage for the reader at that time as they were reading this was not the structure of the thing. The biggest controversy in this passage for them was any mention of the Lord. It is the Lord that is the controversy for them in this passage. And so what Paul wants to do is tell Christian families, yes, you have this structure in society, but I want you to know that your household should be all about the Lord. Look at what he says, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 20, children obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Verse 23, for servants, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And then masters, in verse 1, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that also you have a master who is in heaven. And that word master is the same word as for Lord, Koryas, which means masters, small L, you need to remember that you have a big L master, the Lord. It is all about the Lord. And so that is what our houses should be. Can I, can I summarize what I think all of that means? Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it for the Lord. And so that's what it means for wives and husbands and children and all those people in the family. You are doing this for the Lord and for no one else. And so there are three relationships we're going to look at this morning. The the husband and the wife, the children and the parents, and the slave and the master. And the first two we're going to spend most of our time at, in fact, probably all of our time. And the last one, well, we'll see how much time we have. The first one is husbands and wives. That is the first relationship here that he is talking about. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It is amazing, you know, as you read Paul and Paul writes to husbands and wives, it is interesting because you could point back to Paul and say, Paul, uh, you're not married. Who are you to give marriage advice to married people when you're not married yourself? And you see, Paul made this argument back in in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He said, said, 
you know, I'd rather some of you be single as I am, but if you can't control yourself, let's get married. And so what he, what he does in that is he, he elevates singleness. So he's not talking against singleness. Singleness is a good thing and you can do it in honor to the Lord. But for those who are married, this is the way it is to look like. And sometimes I think he talks in relation to marriage and families because it just gets so much more complicated when you get into those relationships. You don't get to just do whatever you want to do. And so here it tells us, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So then 21st century glasses come on and you ask yourself, well, what does that mean for wives to submit to their husbands? Well, I think in, in determining what something means, it's good to figure out what it doesn't mean before you figure out what it does mean. And what it doesn't mean, wives, is that you are called to submit to an idiot. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you need to submit to an idiot. It doesn't mean that. Why? Because these commands are kind of like two sides of one coin. So if I was to take a coin, if you can imagine I had a coin in my hand and I was to take the coin and I was somehow to be able to erase one side of the coin, what would happen to the coin? The coin would lose its value. Why? Because the coin needs both sides. And so it is with these commands in relation to these relationships. Yes, wives are to submit to their husbands, but what kind of husbands are they to have? Husbands that love their wives. And so you're not called to submit to any old man. You're called to submit to the one who you've devoted your life to, the one who you have become one flesh with. You are not called to submit to an abusive man. You are not called to submit to a a domineering man. You are not called to submit to a harsh man or a harmful man. You are called to submit to a godly man who loves you. So submission is not submission, submission to any old man. Also, submission is not just blanket obedience. It's not just blanket obedience. And the reason I say that is because of what he says in the other verses. Verse 20, children obey your parents. Verse 22, bondservants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And so what it says for children is obey your parents. What it says for servants is obey your masters. But what it says for wives is something very different. It's not this authoritative giving instruction and you must obey everything. It is not that. Submitting is something entirely different. And that also means that submitting is not without option. If you are going to submit to your husband, you need to voluntarily choose to do that. You have an option. If your husband is calling you to do something that would not honor the Lord, say no. Say no. Why? Because at the end of this it says, at the end of verse 18, it says, as is fitting in the Lord. So you're only to submit to your husband in such a way that fits and pleases the Lord, what the Lord would call you to do. You're not just submitting blindly to any old person. So what is it? What does it mean then to submit? What does it mean to submit? I think as I look at these verses, and you can try all the Greek gymnastics you want, but I think it means... Wives, submit to your husbands. I think that's what it means. 
And what it is, is a voluntary, voluntary choice of yours to say, I am going to come under this man's lead in my life. And here's the thing we need to realize. There is always a leader in life. There's always a leader in life. Wherever you go, in the workplace, is there a leader in your workplace? There's a leader in your workplace. Your, your, your teams, your sports teams, is there a leader in your sports team? There's always a leader in the sports teams. In your homes, is there a leader in your homes? You might not name it, but usually there is a leader in your home. Your home has a certain direction. Your home has a certain ethos. Your home has a certain way that it does things. And that is led by someone. And it is just this recognition that what is happening in my home is this leadership idea. I'm coming under the leadership, the direction of this man who, what? Loves me. I am one with him. We are now one flesh. So now I seek to to live with his leadership, his lead and guide. That does not come into question any of your value, any of your dignity, any of your worth. It's not even a competence issue. It's not saying that women aren't competent to lead. It's not a competence issue. In fact, I think, I think a lot of times women are far more competent than men in leadership. Why? Because men don't stand up. It's not competency. What it is, is role. It is role we're called to submit. And then there are husbands. You'd think it would be a simple command, wouldn't you, husbands? Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That is one of the the main commands for a husband. Love your wives. Seek to love them. And what type of love are we to love our wives with? You wonder what type of love we're to love our wives with. And the only time he talks about love in, um, in this book goes back to, uh, I think it is chapter 3, verse uh, 12, when he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So what we know about love, at least just in this letter, is it is a love that God loves us with. So the implication there is the love that God loves us with as husbands. We are to seek to love our wives as He has loved us. And what does this love look like? Well, we read it in our passage this morning. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. What type of love are husbands to love their wives with? It is a sacrificial love. It is a love that gives up. It is a love that doesn't seek to take all the time. Give to me all the time. It is a love that doesn't just say, listen woman, you give to me all the food, you give to me um, all the affection, you, you just, you're just there for me, for my service. No, love is sacrificial love. It is not the posture that says give to me, it is the posture that says I will give up everything for you. That is love. That is what we are called to love like in the church. 
And it's hard for us as husbands. You would think it would be easy. But we as husbands, we have this uncanny ability to just think about ourselves all the time. That's not just true of husbands, but it is true of husbands particularly. I I found this especially true in, in, in our life when we had first got married and first had children. You know, we, we, I wanted to take a day off every, every week as, as everybody does. And, and what we did was we started calling that day off. Instead of calling it a day off, we started calling it a family day. And as people hear about the fact that we have a family day, they go, oh, you know, isn't that brilliant? Aren't you like maybe so hot, like you have a nice little family day and everything's perfect. It's not everything's perfect. The reason we have a family day and the reason we call that it a family day is because I'm such an Egypt. If we called it a day off, do you know what I would feel like? I'm off. No need to be a dad today. No need to be a husband today. I'm going to kick back and watch the premiership all day. Forget about them. If you give a man a couch, he will take the couch. And he will take it for as long as you give him that couch. My day off isn't a day off from being a husband or a father. It is a family day. And I call it that just to remind me. And I fail at it. Let me tell you, I fail. But that's the reason we call it. Not because we're extra holy. It's because I need that reminder for myself. Husbands, we are called to love our wives. That means, don't, I'm not living in a posture of you give me everything. I'm living in a posture of I'm going to give up everything for you. Why? Because that is what Christ did for us. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us that we could be free from our sins. And so He calls us to love our wives. And that, in one sense, that's how good evangelism is going to happen. Because if the husband-wife relationship is meant to be a picture of Christ and the church, guess what happens when people should see our marriages? When they see our marriages, they should see a picture of Christ and the church. And that is one of the ways we can witness. The second relationship we need to look at this morning is children and parents. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Children, I want to talk to you for a second. I want to talk to the children in the room for a second because what this verse tells me is something really important for the children and it is this. God cares about you, children. In fact, God cares about you, children, so much that He has a verse in the Bible for you. And you know what adults tend to do? Adults tend to have church kick you out and teach each other this verse. Children, obey your parents. But this verse is for you. God wants to speak to you. God wants to talk to you, children. God loves you. And He has a plan for you. And His instruction for you as a child is very simply this. Children, obey your parents in everything. That's a tough command, isn't it? Obey your parents. Do you as children find it difficult to obey your parents? 
When they ask you something to do, do you find it difficult to obey them? Do you find it difficult to follow after their instructions? It's hard, isn't it? It's difficult as children to follow their instructions. Can I make it more difficult for you? It says, children, obey your parents in everything. Do you think it would be really difficult to obey your parents in everything? Everything they ask you to do? That is a very difficult command for children to keep. But it can't just mean everything without question, can it? Children, if your parents ask you to do something that does not please the Lord or something that is bad, guess what? You don't obey. Why? Because you are obeying them in things that please the Lord, that make the Lord happy. So if they ever call you to do something, anything that is bad, you say no. Who are the children? The children are those that are under the parents' care. That means young children. That means teenagers. That means sometimes young adults. You are under your parents' care. And as long as you are under your parents' care, you are called to obey your parents in everything. And that is a difficult command for you to keep. Remember when I was younger, I had a famous saying that I used to always say to my parents. When I was younger, it, 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 looked, like, it looked like this. Well, well, their parents are letting them do it. That was my sentence. That was my go-to sentence. Their parents are letting them do it. Their mom is letting them do it. Their dad is letting them do it. And then as I got older, as I became a teenager, I started to say, well, everybody is doing it. Everybody is doing it. Why won't you let me do it? Because everybody is doing it. Now let's pick that apart for a second. Is everybody really doing it? No, they are not. The the child knows that. The teenager knows that. I knew that. It wasn't that everybody was doing it. I knew that some people weren't allowed to do it either. But you you have to go big. Everybody's doing it. No, not everybody is doing it. And then when they would say no, because they did say no. And that's a good thing as a parent to do. When they would say no to me, then I would run up to my room in frustration and say this. You don't let me do anything. Now pick that apart for a second. Do you really not, do they really not let you do anything? Anything. They just lock you in a room and have you do nothing all day. And let you do nothing all day. No, that's not true, is it? They let you do a lot of things. But children, they are over you. And that, who, that is who God has put over you. And so you are called to obey. Finally, talks to fathers. Verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And so this is two sides of one coin again. Again, if you you take away one side of the coin, the coin will lose its value. And so in this command, yes, it is children to obey their parents. But then the other part of this command, if this part of the command falls away, it it all goes away. So the other part of the command is, is for fathers. Do not provoke. Then mothers might say, well, why doesn't it say me? I can provoke them too. It's again a question of leadership, isn't it? Who is is to be the lead in the home? 
It is to be the fathers. It is to be the husbands. They are to lead in the home. And unfortunately, at times, fathers can be expert provokers. We can provoke our children, embitter our children, set way too high standards for our children, criticize our children. And so when we do that, guess what happens to our children? We discourage our children. Sometimes we say things to our children that we would never say to anybody else. Sometimes we say things to our children that we would never dare to say to other people in this room. And yet many times we are guilty of provoking our children, setting too high standards for our children, setting dreams for our children, hoping our children will achieve the dreams that we could never fulfill. So as I was thinking about this, I was, I was watching this um, a few, few months back, I think maybe even a year back, we were watching this, this show about this, this six-year-old prodigy I mean, he was, he was this genius. His parents bought him a piano when he was two years old worth $20,000. William Chang is his name. Do you think there's any pressure that would come with that when you buy a two-year-old a $20,000 piano? So they buy him a $20,000 piano and they, they had no one there who could teach him how to play the piano. So the parents started, because no one wanted to teach a two-year-old or a three-year-old, so the parents started teaching him and he began quickly to be able to play uh, uh, Bach and Mozart and, and Chopin and, and he ended up being invited to Carnegie Hall and, and played Mozart at six years of age. Now, I don't know anything that goes on in the family. I don't know what happened. But I suspect, I suspect, with three hours of practice, four hours, five hours of practice every day, I suspect the standards were set quite high. And so as fathers and as parents, we're called not to provoke our children, not to embitter our children. We need to encourage them, not to set so high standards that they cannot possibly achieve it. Not criticize them and speak down to them in ways that we would never do to anybody else. Involve our children. When people come to our home, let's not throw our children away. They're part of it. They're part of life in our home. They're part of life in this church. We don't throw them away. We thank God for them. And so fathers, we are challenged to love our children in this way and not provoke them. The final relationship, and I'm going to do this quickly because I, to be honest, the reason I'm going to do this quickly is because I don't just want to have a sermon next week that is about slaves and masters. So that's why I'm doing it quickly. But if you have any more questions, we can, we can talk about it. But listen to what it says in relation to slave and masters. Verse 22, bond servants, that's slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing 
that you also have a master in heaven. What I want you to see is, is, just, is just three maybe simple things that might help us here. This slavery that it's talking about and masters and slaves is totally different to the slavery that we think about. So we don't have a category for this kind of slavery right now. When we think of slavery, what we think of as racial slavery or sexual slavery or those types of slavery in this world today. It was a totally different slavery. Some slaves were kind of workers in the home who were considered sometimes as very, very important to the home and treated very, very well. Some slaves were treated very, very poorly. It was totally different. The second thing I want you to see is still, though, it was totally wrong. Just because Paul talks about servants and masters doesn't mean that Paul is saying it was right. What Paul is doing is he's recognizing there's this construct in society that we cannot change. But here's what I want you to do. Servants, I want you to love the Lord and your master. And masters, treat your servants well. So in speaking about it, he's not advocating it. What he's doing is he's speaking into it. It is wrong for anybody to own another person. This is wrong. It is different. It is wrong. And the third thing is, I, I do think, I do think we can learn from it. Even though we don't have anything like this in our society, in our, in our household, in our society here, what I want to say here in Ireland, there is something we can learn in relation to work. And it is simply this, verse 23, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord. In their workplace, they were called, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. And I believe in our workplace, whatever we are to do, we are to do it for the Lord. Don't just work when someone's watching you to please them. Do you know who's watching you? The Lord is. Don't just work to get praise from men. Don't just work to earn more money. You've got a greater inheritance in heaven. And so you work with all your heart as for the Lord and not for any man. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. Can I finish by asking a question? Any of you got a perfect family? I thought not. None of you do. But what we need to seek to do, brothers and sisters, is have godly families with the Lord as the head. The husband is not Lord, the wife is not Lord, the teenager is not Lord, the baby is not Lord. The Lord is the Lord of your home. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are the Lord in our homes. And Lord, we pray this is a difficult passage in many ways. And in many ways, we read it and know our failures. And so, Lord, I pray that we would seek your grace, enable us, empower us 
to be husbands, wives, children, fathers, mothers who honor you in our homes. Help us not battle for our power, but for yours, Lord. In your precious name, amen. What we're going to do now is actually take from the Lord's uh, table right now. And so uh, what I'll do as we uh, seek to take from the Lord's table is just read to you um, a small portion of Scripture, uh, Matthew 26, and then we'll take from the Lord's table. Matthew 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What we're going to celebrate right now is remembering Christ's death for us, His body broken for us, His blood shed for us. If you have felt in any way, I'm a failure as a husband, I'm a failure as a father. I'm a failure as a wife. I'm a failure as a parent. If you have felt in any way those realities this morning, here's what I want you to do. Run to Jesus. Receive His forgiveness and His grace because there is not anyone here that is perfect. We need His forgiveness. So I'd love you to take this time as we take the cup and the bread together. I want you to hold it um, together until the end and we'll take it together. Um, We will sing, Oh, to see the dawn. You can sing it if you like. You can use this as a time to pray and and confess your sins and your failures to, uh, to Him and embrace the forgiveness He has. So let's take of the Lord's table and sing, Oh, to see the dawn.